All right. So welcome back to the Creativity Talks with myself, Crystal, and Renee. Today, Hello. we're going to be talking about creativity and food, which is a very juicy topic. It sure is. Metaphor is literal in this case. Yeah. Hi, Crystal, and hi, everyone. Okay, I'm super excited. You know, I nose around on your Instagram and on your website and on your Facebook, and there's I've told you before, I do your meditations. I, I love what you offer. Um, and I love exploring Ayurveda with you because you're about the only person that can break it down and explain it where it doesn't scare me off and make me run the other way. So um, hopefully we can have some more little blips about Ayurveda in here as we discuss the topic of food. So I don't know what you wanna start with. Well, <laughs> I would really love to start with the idea of food from, let's say, like a Jungian perspective or or even even get rid of that. And like food from the most basic perspective, from the fact that food gives us life. And so what is more creative than the ingestion of calories as energy, right? Like energy into our bodies, sustaining us to grow and create our bodies and create our existence. <laughs> I love um, it right? Like what's more creative than that? You know, I think it was uh, William Tuttle. I don't know if we do show notes anymore, but I, I don't remember his name, but it came to me. He has a book called the world peace diet. Mm, yeah. I've read that one. Oh, and the first three or four chapters, he just talks about how food in our culture is just what creates us. He talks about that little seed in the apple, how it went into the earth and it it just soaked up all the nutrients and then um the tree the apple tree grows and then the apple is just fed by the sun this just this whole cycle that we get to then ingest that apple that had already ingested the earth and and had ingested the sun i don't know if the word is ingested but just mm -hmm. that amalgamation of all those energies in order to stuff it down our throats right without thought without mo a moment to be grateful and then how the food itself in our culture shapes us and the book goes on to talk about veganism but he talks a lot about the psychology of the food the family orientation of our food and how it it's really hard to change how you see food yeah yeah i mean when I think of like the creation myth of Genesis and you're, you're thinking about that apple and the apple is the symbol, symbol of wisdom, mm. you know, um, and eating of that apple is to imbibe of this forbidden wisdom. Right. Um, I think in a way food has taken on that, that kind of taboo that, that, that the apple had right in this story of Genesis, of course, in a different way. Um, but like you're saying, food is kind of our fundamental identity, right? Like they say the last thing to go when a culture gets conquered or colonized or is assimilating to another culture, the last thing to go is the food because food ties things together. And it, I mean, it gives us life. Of course, it's, it's the highest thing, you know, from childhood we've associated so deeply with it, right? So there's so much deep mythic, cultural, emotional, and personal identity that's associated with food, mm -hmm. um, which I think is why food is such a pain point, actually. And in, in, in my health coaching, I experienced that with people is it often- is a pain. It's a, I don't want to interrupt you, but it is a pain point. And it's a thing where people don't, people don't want to admit mm -hmm. and don't want to use the word identity when it comes to food. We don't want to think we identify with or as a food. Like right. it's too much for us to to grasp that. So just to say identity and then to have me react and go, I don't identify like that with food. It is so immediate. I'm I'm affirming you. Yeah, I mean, we're literally made of food. You know, we're walking around in this meat suit that's made of everything we've eaten in the last seven years, basically. Um, which is not, you know, I used to kind of like think of that as a, oh my gosh, I have to eat the best things because I have to be made of all the best things, you know? And now I kind of think of it more as, wow, look look at everything that can transform into life. 
like from a Snickers bar to a green salad, like all of that can transform into life. Okay. And a lot of it leaves my body as waste. That's true too. Um, but that's true whether you eat Snickers bars or whether you eat, you know, uh, paleo or whether you eat vegan or whatever. Um, so, you know, we're walking around in this body made of food, right? And there's so much emotion wound up in the food that we eat on a daily basis and the food that we were raised eating. And there's often this kind of like, you know, tension between how we grew up eating and how we were, then were told we should eat by like diet culture um, and even even nutrition. I mean, <laughs> nutrition is a strange world because, you know, we've got everything from the food pyramid that we learned in, you know, junior high school health class that is heavily, heavily influenced by like the dairy lobby and, you know, so there's that. And then there's like the, the more extreme fad diety kind of information out there. And what I find interesting is that it's like we, it's like we forgot what we're supposed to eat. And then we're trying to figure it out through, through intellectual pursuits. Like let's measure and let's, you know, do all this stuff and figure out like what we're supposed to eat and how we're supposed to sustain ourselves, which fundamentally it's like, just eat, you know, we just need to eat. We just need to consume calories. And of course, you know, there's all kinds of influences like industrial agriculture and, you know, manufactured foods and packaged foods and, um, pesticides and GMO and all these things. But, but at the bottom of it all, we're just an animal that needs to get fed. You know, we're just an animal that needs to get fed. And as I always bring it back to, if, if we are a parent or if we are our own parent, our own mother, the benevolent loving mother, mm -hmm. we're just going to use what's most available, most readily available in our immediate environment that we can find that's of the best quality that we can access and afford and feed ourselves slash our, you know, symbolic inner child with love. Mm -hmm. And that's what it really comes down to. I like that. And I am one of those people that does vacillate between like the restrictive eating and the shoulds and the shouldn'ts. And then I respond by swinging the other direction and, and thinking, isn't my body amazing that I'm eating so I'm eating such bad food and I'm still functioning so great. Like right. it's just a, a trip. It's a mental trip. And I do envy people who just see food as fuel, yeah. who just eat whatever anyone gives them. It, it just means it's not, doesn't mean a whole lot. They just eat whatever anyone gives them. I kind of admire that. Yeah. Um, and the word readily available, um, I'm sure that, you know, generationally speaking, because we've evolved so much and, you know, we don't have to, we're not out on the, you know, we're not out having rations um, and we're not at war and, you know, out on the field. And we're, we're very close to a grocery store just about all the time. So yeah. because we have so many options, I just don't think we have evolved far enough to have so many options and to be able to manage it. Um, but yeah. you're going to help us with that, I hope. Yeah, I mean, I think of it in a way as like the idea that we need to evolve into eating is it's sort of like undermining the the basic, our basic instincts to sustain ourselves. Like if they're, they're already there you know? And so if, the, if you have a basket full of food, like let's say you're, you're on one of those survival shows, um, where you don't get to bring any supplies or whatever, and you come upon a basket full of food and you haven't eaten in three days, it doesn't matter what's in that basket. Right. You're going to eat, eat it. the whole thing. Right. right. And I like to tell two stories, one where I lived in Hawaii and I lived out in this Valley where <laughs> I, you had to hike in 12 miles up intense switchbacks. Like it's a 10 out of 10 difficulty, kind of a hike. Um, we hiked in 50 pounds of quinoa and then kind of, you know, whatever oil and chocolate and, you know, whatever we could to like flavor it basically. And that's what we were living off of. Um, and we had to hike a mile to the waterfall to either fill our water, take a shower, whatever. And that's not counting the mile back to our camp. So everything we were doing was so calorically intense um, we went out there being vegan, we being my, um, my son's father and me, we went out there as vegans with our quinoa, which is a complete human protein. And by the end of it, we were, we were eating the wild goats that people were trapping. We would 
buy Snickers bars, not even like power bars or, you know, like a workout bar. We would buy Snickers bars so that when we were on the trail and we needed a burst of energy, because it's this 12 mile, 10, 10 out of 10 difficult to trail. You just need a burst of energy. You eat a Snickers bar. That is the most bioavailable energy you can eat. And so that experience really changed the way I looked at food and the functionality of food. Like if we're sitting on the couch all day or we work on the computer, maybe we don't need a Snickers bar for that burst of energy um, because we're not actually using the energy that it gives us and thus it stores in the body. But if you're out in the wild and you're burning that many calories and you're like, I mean, we could barely keep up with our caloric needs out there, especially being vegan. We had to, we had to go to the meat because we just weren't getting enough fat and enough protein. Uh, sorry, sorry, vegans. I mean, I'm sure it could be done, but with the 50 pound pack limitation, it was pretty, um, difficult. Yeah. And, and I so remember that, that season, I remember yeah. it well, and I don't remember anything except it being so foreign to think you literally have to walk, I thought it was 14 miles, miles and miles to get more food or you have to kill something, which is is kind of a vegan's point, I think, that, you know, not to get into the whole thing, but, you know, what's it called? Factory farming, just the whole idea of, of you know, if you have to eat and you, you know, like you, you have to catch a fish because you're hungry, it's a hell of a lot different than, then you know because a, a vegan is not a plant-based eater a plant-based eater wants to be eating healthy food and a vegan is just concerned about not being participating in that type of um cruelty or suffering of the animals but right. i remember you guys um started trading if you if you started trading the snickers bars and you kept a knife in case a wild boar came yeah i, I do remember this this is a it was such a crazy life it was, crazy. it was it was and it taught me so much because the real the point was we wanted to experience um subsistence living but also we wanted to see if we could like live off the land like we were super hardcore environmentalists and we were like how do we do this and what is it like to be a human who depends so much on the earth so directly you know um and we had no idea what we were doing like we were not well prepared for this experience but, you know, that said, we learned so much from it. And, and this, this just about food, you know, um, once you're out there and you have caloric needs for survival, food ethics is, it's not relevant. It's just not relevant. Um, when it comes down to your own survival, you know, and we were, you know, people were trapping the goats and then cooking them and eating them. Also, the goats were um, an invasive species, so they were actually really ruining the topography there and the, the like throwing the um, ecosystem out of balance. So, you know, a lot of people were like, well, we're actually doing a service by getting rid of this invasive species. And, you know, we need it to survive because you couldn't really live out there without partaking in the goats. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to an important question, even if you're vegan or whatever, when you're out there and you it's really a question of you know survival in that situation like sure you can go back to civilization and and you know eat your uh mushroom jerky or whatever <laughs> but like when it really comes down to death looking you at the in the face because or or even not even being at the death store but having having hiked you know for whatever you know a bunch of miles up into the valley collecting firewood your firewood's wet you're trying to cook them you know we would try to try to get the firewood going and we'd be like starving like not just like when we say it in western culture you know like we're like oh i'm so starving what should we get for dinner oh my gosh we have to wait 20 minutes for them to make our food for us you know it was like we couldn't get the fire going to cook like our quinoa our dry quinoa and that's all we had so it's like if we can't get this wet wood to start a fire we're not eating tonight you know um that's another level of hunger that I, I never experienced before, for sure. Um, well, and, and that's different um, because obviously it's in ourselves somewhere that in order to survive, you you have to eat a bug, maybe. Yeah. You, you have to eat a, what are those? They're selling grasshoppers now as like a delicacy, right? So yeah, it's really it common in Thailand. Our, it's like a very common yeah. snack. Yeah. So it's in our cells as humans, it's in our species to eat for survival and eat a bug if we must, or mm -hmm. a dead animal. 
but the idea of having so many options is yes. it's really hard to then choose over the snicker bar you know if there's two things in you're starving and let's say the quinoa's already cooked and you have this option of this perfect protein or the Snickers bar, you know, we've, we've got the, the, the sweet, the hunger for sweet. So we have this option. So something has to usurp our um, immediate satisfaction in order to think, well, I'm in charge. It's the same thing we talked about um, maybe three podcasts ago about taking responsibility for your, your life and your story, your narrative, right. your thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Yes, shit happens. Yes, that you can't control. But it's the same thing. It's like, man, I, I got to be more responsible for what I put in my body because you yeah. guys don't even know. You have no idea what it's like to be over 50 or 55 or pushing 60. Like you have to, it, that's when it matters more what you eat. It's yeah. you got you, you get You have so many more options. And if you, if you overeat, you know, you can still function. It's so yeah. different the older you get, you just can't metabolize anything. It's so weird that um, it's not quite, it's not in our development yet, which is why I think there's thousands and thousands of nutritionists and yeah. you know biohacks and uh, coaches trying to help you learn how to eat. And so many people are obese because we've never had so much food at our fingertips. Totally. And this issue of choice is where I rely really heavily on Michael Pollan who wrote The Omnivore's Dilemma. And his little takeaway from that was eat food, mostly plants. And that was my, that's kind of my food mantra now. Like I used to be vegan. I used to be so hardcore Ayurveda. Like I can't mix these foods and I can't do this and I can't eat until such and such has happened. And I've, you know, done 50 breaths or whatever, you know? Um, and it's like the, there is wisdom in those things, right? There's wisdom in, in the knowledge that we have, but ultimately food is not an intellectual pursuit. It's a, it's a bodily pursuit. It's an embodied pursuit. And so whenever I get a little bit like, how, how have I been eating lately? You know, and like reflecting or like get, what should I eat? It's always just how, how often have I eaten plants lately? How, okay. What, what in the fridge is like a plant? What kind of plant can I have? And that's not to say I don't have non-plants. It's just like, if you build it around that. So let's say I have greens in the fridge or, you know, I have, um, like some bell peppers that I can stuff with rice or, you know, whatever. It's like build it around plants because we need the roughage. I like to think of it as roughage, um, not even like micronutrients because that even gets a little bit heady. Um, however, I do like the distinction of macros and micros because that's it's a really easy, just, you know, 50-50 dichotomy kind of a thing that we can use. Um, I just want to hang my hat on that though, that yeah. eating which, you know, that's what kind of scares me about Ayurveda sometimes is there's a lot to memorize. There's a lot to learn. It's very intense, but um, I don't want to sit there and figure out the breakdown between a steel cut oat and a fucking, re Ooh, sorry, a regular oat. I don't want to, right. have to figure it out. I just yeah. want the, the quick oats. I don't want to have to, oh, that one's better. It's, it isn't, it's becoming this intellectual thing. And I think that um, I just want to hang my hat on the fact that you said eating has to be an embodied experience something right. that you call intuitive and not an intellectual experience. And that's why we are never satisfied, right? Exactly, exactly. I, so what would you do? Where would you start? Where would you start with someone, you know, maybe not me because um, I'm so vegan, but where would you start with someone who is just like ground zero? Like, yeah, I've been on every diet and nothing works, or I don't know. I don't know what kind of people you, you work with. Yeah. Well, first of all, it can totally work for someone who's vegan. It's not about what you do or don't eat. It's about working with what you want to eat, what you choose volitionally to eat and incorporating nutrition knowledge in a way that isn't dogmatic or, or restrictive or shaming. You know, I used to, I like, I grew up watching my sister in Weight Watchers. She'd have her little scale. She's measuring every portion of everything that she's eating, you know? And yeah, it worked for her. We have these pictures of the era of her Weight Watchers where she looks almost slim to the, you know, the standard that you're supposed to look quote unquote, right. Cause she has from an Ayurvedic perspective, she has a body that's very earth and water 
which is kapha dosha. So she's going to always be rounder, more voluptuous, more of that kind of earth mother archetype, right? And she was trying so hard to be the LA body type. And that's what it took was like literally measuring, you know, measuring the the weight of the food, the weight and the size and the serving size and all that, um, which is completely controlling the urges, the embodied urges of food from an intellectual place, right? Which, gosh, we could get into how, how um, kind of misogynist that is, like on a Jungian level or whatever. But what it really what I really teach people is just to sit with their body, feel the craving. Like here, I have this little bowl of chocolate chips. Can you see it? <laughs> chocolate <laughs> chips. Okay, here's my chocolate chips. I snack on those in the afternoon. I work on the computer. I get a little sleepy. I snack on some chocolate chips. Okay, here's my chocolate chips. How am I feeling with these chocolate? How do I, I'm smelling them? Okay, what am I feeling in my body? Do I feel myself salivate a little bit? I feel like a little bit of the comfort of the smell of chocolate. It, it kind of reminds me of like walking into a coffee shop. And then I feel what I'm feeling in my body and my belly. I feel my breathing. And so all I'm doing is an extremely simple practice of communing with these chocolate chips and the embodied experience of being around, being in proximity to these chocolate chips, smelling them, feeling what my actual physiological responses are. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm also feeling like, I don't really want to eat this right now. I don't have the urge to eat it. Partially, you know, it's been sitting on my desk all afternoon, probably for a couple of days, actually. And because it's available to me, I'm able to have this relationship with it where I can feel into my body and say, oh, I'm not really in the mood for this right now, you know, versus a food that is like coveted and I keep away from myself. And then suddenly it's there and I can't stop thinking about it, you know? Is what would you say is what is the definition of restrictive eating then? Like just not allowing yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a hard thing to say. I would say, I would say restrictive eating is eating that isn't based in your embodied experience, your somatic experience of desire for food versus, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's the Weight Watchers thing, measuring, whatever. It's that intellectualizing of, um, you know, is this sustainable? Is this whatever? What are my macros? What are my micros? What are my, you know, it's not that those things don't have a place in the, you know, when we're shopping and making those decisions and whatever. But when it comes down to the actual experience of eating, the more embodied it is, one, the more you enjoy it, the more sensual and pleasurable it is, thus the more inherently satisfying it is because so much, I would say 99% of the food cravings we're experiencing, unless you're doing what I was doing or you're living in this calorically intense environment or you're pregnant and you're making a human because that is one of the most calorically intense things you can do unless you're in one of those situations, I'm sure there's other situations where things are very calorically intense. Our food cravings are psychological. That does not mean they're not real, right? But it means that they have different origins than our physiology. Right. That's than our nutritional well said. Well said. They, those cravings have an origin that has nothing to do with your, your, your body's mind, but they're more psychological, emotional. Yeah. I mean, I would even say that the, your body's mind, I would say is not purely mechanical. So in a sense, yes, those, those foods do have something to do with our body's intelligence because our body remembers right on a cellular level. The first thing we ever eat is mother's milk usually mother's milk or formula. And that is sweet. Okay. So our first taste of life-giving food, when we come out of the womb, when we're no longer getting fed through the umbilical cord is sweet. So that's imprinted on us. Is that emotional or is that, is that metabolic? Is it physiological? It's all of those things, yeah. all of them. Right. 
And so to say, oh, sweet food is bad. Why, why as babies would we, would our first taste be bad food, right? It's sweet because sweet, and this is it from Ayurveda, but this makes total sense from Western nutrition too. Sweet is a building taste. Sweet foods build, right? Uh, Okay. So babies need foods that are going to build their bodies. And the, the most calorically intense foods are sweet, right? That's why we grabbed a Snickers bar when we're on this crazy hike, because we just need a burst of energy, no matter what There's sweet it comes from. Yeah. Sweet and fat. So that is partially psychological and partially just a bio memory, like phys- physiological, psychological, emotional, all combined memory. And it's imprinted in us since day one. From day one, yeah. No matter whether you're breastfed or not or whatever, it's universal. Okay. All humans, right? And so then others, other tastes have different functions. Like um, some tastes are more stripping, like the sour taste or the astringent taste is more stripping or even the spicy taste, it's more stripping. So like if you need to move things along, you might have some spicy food because, right, like we've all had that where we've had too much spicy food and things are moving too much, right? It's just an example. Like those foods or those tastes rather, they strip and some tastes build. So salty and sweet are building. Let me see. Pungent is spicy, sour, astringent, and I'm always missing this last one. I have it written down right here. That's sweet already. Yeah. Okay. Sweet, salty, pungent, astringent, bitter. Bitter. So pungent, astringent, bitter, and sour all are stripping in some ways. Sour can be building in some ways, but sweet and salty are building. And what are, what are the, you know, 99.9% of quote unquote junk foods are sweet and salty, right? Both. Yeah. Yeah. And so really what junk food does is it hijacks our natural, um, it kind of hijacks our natural urge to build ourselves. Cause that's what we're doing every time we eat, we're building ourselves. Right. So that junk food is like jacked up on the sweet, jacked up on the, on the salty. And so our body thinks, oh, I need this. This is important. I, this is good. Like I just came upon a honeycomb. I, I came upon an orange tree, you know, um, I, I came upon, you know, this bison and now we've salted the meat and, and preserved it or whatever, because those are building foods. They're calorically intense. They're high in fat. They're high in protein, some of them. Um, and then our body's like, yes, we hit the jackpot, you know, calorically speaking. And so it's not to say that the consumption of those foods is bad. It's just that our physiology interprets it differently than what is true for our situation in the modern industrialized world, right? Mm-hmm. So That's interesting too, isn't it? That you're just having this, people use the word trigger, trigger, trigger all the time. And they mean it like, well, you're triggering me. But literally when you eat a, something that's you know, sweet or salty or really intense, you're being triggered mm-hmm. to think, oh, you know, this is something I need because it's intent, it's it's calorie intense. Right. I mean, the chemicals that are going off in the brain, it's like right. you hit literally, it's like you hit the jackpot, like mm-hmm. ching, 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 ching. You know, that's what's happening in your brain because that's what our physiology is designed to do. Well, and also you keep saying you're building your body, you're building your body. That reminds me of creativity too. So Um, I don't know what the steps are you're going to share, but I mean, just being aware and mindful and intentional, those, you know, aware, mindful and intentional that we are creating something, either it's a pattern, a habit or a body or um, uh, something to like an acclimation to the health, the more water you drink, the more water you want to drink, right? The more thirsty you realize you will were and the more, um, the more vegetables you have, you know, like let's say cauliflower and broccoli and carrots, let's just say those, the more you want. And the more cheesecake you have, the more you want, right? So yeah, anyway, I like the word building. Yeah, yeah. And so then the difficulty comes in when people are like, well, my body's built, like I've built it up. Maybe it's a little more, there's a little more bulk than I want on my body. Um, You know, we're not growing children anymore. So our bodies, our metabolism does, you know, taper out a little bit. Um, 
when we're not actually growing every day. And so what's going on here is that we still have this desire for building and nourishment from the sweetness of life. And we're channeling it all into food as the solution to that. So we're kind of, we're kind of leaning on that natural instinct of the baby, like, oh, I need nourishment. I'm going to go for the mother's milk, right? We're like, well, I need my mother's milk. Where's my chocolate or where's my pizza or where's my whatever. Whereas we're much more complex and our needs are more nuanced. Um, and we can get that sweetness from other things. So the building happens from, let's say, uh, an artistic pursuit or a relationship like this experience. You and I experience this as sweet when we get to talk about creativity. It nourishes us in a sweet way, right? It's not bitter. Like this is not bitter medicine that we're doing here. It is. You know? it's, it's nourishing. Absolutely. I like what you said that we have a longing for the sweetness of life, but it's not necessarily food that we're longing yes. for. I like yes. That. Yeah. And especially when we're pushing ourselves in so many situations, like let's say we're working long hours, that's kind of like a bitter, astringent, um, sour experience, or, you know, we're having a fight with a loved one. That's like a pungent experience or whatever it is. And then we immediately want a fix to bring us back into balance. And we think, okay, where's the closest sweet experience? Oh, it's this chocolate bar or it's this whatever, you know, um, and so we're often pushing ourselves so far into the other's tastes in, in ways that aren't fulfilling, you know, like there's a fulfilling kind of spiciness from a good workout, right? That's a pungent experience um, that feels satisfying and nourishing to the body and maybe has some bitterness too. Cause there's that moment where you're like, oh my God, why did I come to the gym today? This is the worst, you know, that that's bitter. That's a bitter feeling, yeah. but it's a healthy bitter, right? right? And so we need all these tastes, not only in our diet, but also in our life. And that way the two don't get confused, right? Um, because eating a chocolate bar might give us temporary relief from excess sourness or excess whatever, pungentness or bitterness, but it's not actually solving the, the fundamental imbalance of the fact that we hate our job or that our, you know, that our husband is emotionally abusive to us or, even, you know, even simpler things that maybe we worked a little too hard today, or maybe we didn't sleep that well last night mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So it's about finding balance, both on the plate in the taste that we incorporate on the plate, but the taste that we're actually getting in our life. Love that so much. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't know what word you would use that would be a little bit less judgy, but certain behaviors be, that do, if we're searching for the balance and we're going to try and have you know, a glass of wine or whatever and sweets and all of that, that it becomes counterproductive after a few years of that type of searching for and fulfilling that longing with stuff on the plate when really it's something else. Yeah, because you get to this point where you're like, I know this is not really what I want. Like how many times have you eaten something and you've been like, I don't even want this. I'm not experiencing pleasure from this. I can't help myself. I'm doing it anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's not even a fun experience. I mean, we've probably all had that experience. And so our, our body's natural wisdom, which is our, our, you know, our body, our energy and our mind, because I don't see a separation, right? Mm -hmm. Our natural wisdom is saying, this is not actually the thing you need. You're trying to trick yourself because you don't know what you need. And that's scary. And that's overwhelming. And so chocolate is the next best thing. I always go to chocolate because I love chocolate, but that's just my example. You know, yeah, yeah. chocolate's the next best thing or, or a glass of rosé or whatever it is, you know, um, chips, right. Chips. Yeah. And then at the same time, the important thing is like, okay, well you can have chips. Like it's okay to have chips, you know, on some level, your body and your, your, everything is functioning as it should, because look at you looking to bring yourself back into balance. That's awesome. Like that yeah, right. That's nice. That's a really great, because you keep saying you want to do it with love, right? Not shame. What'd you say? Not shame. Um, I don't know if you said judgment, but you said shame judgment too because there is oh it's like oh i'm wrong look i'm eating these chips and i don't even like them and you know what, that kind of what is the word what is that word you use for that kind 
it starts with an O, that kind of eating. Orth orthorexic? Yeah, th there's a right and a wrong and a good and yes. a bad. Yeah, that's orthorexia. So yeah, um, orthorexia is like, this is the right way to eat. And it's kind of that fixation with eating right versus wrong and eating good versus bad, ethical versus not, whatever the framework is, whether it's, you know, about your body or not, it's about rightness. And the bottom line is food is calories and our body requires calories. And at different stages of life, we require different levels of calories. And at, you know, during different activities, we require different levels of calories. And so that's all it is. If there's caloric value in food, it's energy, right? So it does help to kind of level the playing field of the food. Of course, like if we try to eat chips as our, you know, meal three times a day, like that's not going to get us very far, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we know that, you know, so we can't pretend that there's nutritional value in some of these foods that isn't, mm -hmm. but the bottom line is it's, they have calories and they have energy and they're giving us energy. And we can get energy from a number of places, food or otherwise. Like you can get more energy by maybe meditating or taking a nap or going on a walk. Yeah. Or calling a friend or, you know, hugging your loved one or, you know, mm -hmm. petting your dog. And I'm not saying you should substitute food for these things. I know. It's I know exactly what you're saying. But yeah. what I like is that uh, something about space, what is the intuitive thing? The intuitive eating something? The one I want to download? Oh, my intuitive eating guide. Yeah. So the intuitive eating guide that I have is basically a combination of understanding what our, our nutritional needs are, like on a broad scale, like micro macros, which are micronutrients, macronutrients. It, so it breaks it down into four different categories of foods. So the foods we need, like, uh, like unrefined carbohydrates, like sweet potato or rice, and then, um, like fats and proteins and then micronutrients, like leafy greens and vegetables, mm -hmm. and then foods that give us pure pleasure. And mm -hmm. so it creates, it's a little map for you to like hang on your fridge and I say, love that there's a I love that there's a category for just pure unadulterated pleasure thank you so much for putting that in there that's yeah good. right that's yeah and that's not just the fats category at the top of the stupid pyramid that's like no you need a lot more fat than that sorry that stupid pyramid <laughs> oh you know we go on and on about what they feed us that's not true it yeah means, totally. you know intellectual whatever information and pretty soon after you've been alive a while you go they keep changing it wait what why right. do they keep changing it? Because certain lobbyists, as you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, how unethical is that to tell people that yeah. this is what they need to eat based on what a lobbyist paid you? I mean, I can't, it's mind blowing, but anyway. Well, and it is, it's really tricky for people, for all of us, because we don't have endless amounts of um, expendable income, but doctors get one day, one right. day in medical school. For nutritional training. Yeah. One day. So of course we have to get our nutritional information, not from our doctor. I remember going to one of my, who I love, my doctor that gave me my back surgery. I will, I will, I mean, I've been a completely changed person because this guy, you know, studied really hard in high school. He didn't go out with friends or whatever you do when you become a doctor. He went to medical school and he's got the courage to open up my spine and shave things down. And he changed my life. I love him. When yeah. I said, well, yeah, I'm trying not to eat inflammatory foods. He said, what? Right. What is inflammatory food? And I'm like, I can't know more than that, more than a, a, a back surgeon. Have you right. never heard of an inflammatory food in your life? So yeah. it is no wonder that we can't go to our MDs and our general practitioners and our Western medicine because they, they get one day. And I, I'm not, I love him. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm yeah. just saying it's definitely, um, you know, on the sidelines. And when I was in line with, um, you know, more eating less unhealthy food, I don't, I don't want to say when I was like really strict, but I was strict and I was doing the raw vegan thing and I never felt better, but I panicked. There was a party. Yeah. I like I was in danger. Like that tells you how twisted my thinking was like I did it. And I hated culture for introducing all this food to us that was counterproductive to our health. I just totally. looked at everything in cultures like, you know, our parties are the danger and you know, you just everything gets flipped. And I don't want to go back to being like completely insane where I 
can't have a meal with a friend or I'm terrified to go to a party, my heart would pound. Like, what am I going to do? Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I had, I've had full blown panic attacks when I was vegan about accidentally eating something with like shrimp sauce in it or whatever. It was like really, really bad. It was really unpleasant and not. Yes, and it was, it's not just the animal. I'm afraid of. I'm not, you know, okay. Oops. It's just the thought that, um, our culture produces unhealthy chemical foods and, and they make me sick. And so I don't want to go where I have to, I have to be around that. Like, just yeah. really twisted. Yeah. So this I'm new, totally that person. <laughs> this new way of looking at it, though, I really like that. Um, intuitively speaking, that instead of saying, "Oh, I want, I want crappy food right now. I want chocolate," and I, you say, "Oh, my body wants to get in balance. Yay for my body!" I, I'm in touch with this feeling of needing balance. Exactly. Like, I hey, my it. body's telling me something's off. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Celebrate. Yay! Like that's step yeah. one, right? Yeah. And then step two is to sit with it and, and feel it. And this is the uncomfortable part because why do we reach for the food? Because we don't want to feel it. We wanna fix it. We wanna repress it. We don't wanna deal with the fact that our husband is you know, emotionally abusing us because that means we have to change our whole life or you know, whatever, whatever it is. We don't wanna deal with the fact that we hate our job because, oh my gosh, that's my livelihood. We don't wanna feel, right? Mm -hmm. So we get into the body and not in the story about, whatever, you know, it's not even about the husband. It's not about the job. It's about our experience somatically in the body, what our stomach feels like, what our breath feels like, what our heartbeat feels like, what being in this body, which is the only thing that's really happening in the now, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's so weird today, this very day, two times, I had a little tiny girl student and a male student. And the mommy told the little girl, like, because she didn't want to work on something because she knew she wasn't going to sound good. And she was, she was like resistant to work on it. And her mommy said, but it's growth. You might yeah. not sound the way you want to. It might, you might feel uncomfortable, but let's go ahead. And her mommy was really nice. She's like a psychologist. And then I had an adult man that he didn't do a good tone. And I was like, you're okay with that? And he didn't want to admit that it, it needed work because it would mean we'd have to work on it. And then it would have to admit that he didn't sound good. And then he would have to realize I'm not perfect. And I went into this whole thing, like, how are we supposed to get through this if you're gonna hide from the fact that this note's not strong enough? Right. It's it just this voice training thing just reminded me of what you said, that first of all, you just have to be willing to just like go, okay, this is good. I admit that my body wants this and you have to sit with it. You have to sit with it and go, okay, I want to shove food down my throat because I don't want to feel what's really maybe happening in my life. And yeah. it's going to be hard, but that, how can you fix it if you don't sit with it? Totally, totally. And I do want to emphasize that one, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's not like this magical, oh, look at me. I don't have food cravings. It's uncomfortable because the food cravings are covering up something that you are running from mm -hmm. or trying not to feel. Mm -hmm. And secondly is the fact that, wow, I totally lost it. What was the second thing I was going to say, but I wanted to go back a little bit to the, to the, to the guide, because after you sit with it and you feel it, the next thing often for people is like, well, oh my gosh, I, I'm panicking. I don't know what to eat. Like I, because we can't necessarily feel our desire to eat, right? Like it's, it gets really messed up in the head. Oh, that's what I wanted to say is that it's not, it's not the process of figuring it out. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a body thing. And so we always go back to the body and what the body is experiencing. And so it's not like you're going to get an answer like, oh, I want to eat fish right now. You know, it's not like that. It's not like a magic eight ball that like, you know, pops up with the thing that you're supposed to eat. It's just about staying in the body mm -hmm. so that whatever the choice you make is grounded in the present, if that makes sense. And so the purpose of the guide is like, if you say, oh, just eat whatever you want, intuitive eating, a lot of people are overwhelmed by that and they panic and they're like, well, if I just eat whatever I want, I'm just going to like, my health's going to deteriorate. I'm going to end up in the hospital. Like, I don't know. Cause we've created this fear of food. Like you said, right? Like you go to the party and you're like, look at all this toxic, you know, poison that our society is feeding us all the time, right? And so the purpose of the guide is to give people a list that they've created themselves out of the foods they love 
the, their favorite um, unrefined carbs, their favorite uh, fats and proteins, and their favorite um, macro micronutrients like greens and peppers and carrots and whatever. And then their their foods that give them pure pleasure, and they can just have that list on their fridge every day. They're like, oh my gosh, what do I eat? Okay, mostly plants. Let's look at my thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Um, here's, here's my unrefined carbs. Like, oh, I, I really sound like sweet potato. That sounds so good today. Or, you know, having some quinoa or some millet or some amaranth or whatever. And then they get to look at their, their proteins. Like, oh, I would love some salmon today. Or, oh, I would love a, a sausage today. Or I'd love just some eggs or some tofu or, or, you know, maybe they're like, wow, I'm like really craving a burger today you know, and then they're getting, it's not an unrefined carb, it's a refined carb, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. And they're getting their, their protein and their fat and they're getting a lot of flavors. There's a lot of tastes, mm -hmm. right? And so when we look at the foods that we crave the most, it's usually foods that have all six tastes, okay. from Ayurveda, right? Um, we don't want bland. Usually it's easier to digest, but that's not what our, what we want and what we crave, right? Cause we, we crave the spice quote, the spice of life, right? That's what we mm -hmm. crave. Mm -hmm. And so, so this guide is there so that you have, you have this reminder that you're not just like, you know, free falling in the fridge. Like, ah, I don't know what to eat. You know, yeah. you have this reminder. These are the foods. If I eat this, I'm eating food that's nutritionally valuable for me, but it's also food that is, is like coming from my own inner desire. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's finding kind of this, this marriage between the two. And the approach is what we're reframing as well. And I mean, I remember, I think I told you this before, Jordan, when, cause Jordan reminds me of you as far as his approach. And um, I, he said something like, eat this, that, and the other thing or whatever. And I said, I don't even have time, okay? Like, I don't wanna spend any time managing and doing the shopping, I don't want to. And he said, but that is what life is all about. If, and he didn't say it exactly like this, but what I took away was if you can't be mindful enough to put some love and good juju into the meals that you're gonna shovel down your throat. This, that's what life is about. You're missing one of the basic, basic um, things that life has to offer, which is preparing a meal and sitting down and enjoying it and having it nourish you instead of just rushing through and just grabbing whatever's there, a tortilla and whatever, vegan yeah. cheese, whatever. Just don't just grab what's there. Put some thought and energy into your body. That's why we're here. Totally. It's like that kind of cynical saying that like there's two things you can rely on in life. It's death and taxes. <laughs> really, one of the most fundamental things you can rely on is you're going to breathe every day. You're going to hopefully sleep every night and you're going to eat three times a day. Like we're what else do we do, <laughs> you know, that often three times a day, we don't have sex three times a day. We don't like, see our favorite people three times a day. You know, the only thing we do more than that, I can think of off the top of my head is we breathe like thousands of times a day or something. We, we have to visit the toilet sometimes more than three times a day. True. It's true. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, we're putting life into our body three times a day. Like that's literally what we're doing. So if we just pause, yep. we get in our body. And we have that experience and just like throw a little mini party, like of the wonder of the fact that we get to put delicious things in our face and that makes us live more. <laughs> and exactly. And that's, that's the creative part of it is we're, we're building and creating a relationship with our bodies and with what we put into our bodies. And if we can stretch it out to that apple and to that animal, or if you're having a fish or something, to whatever you're ingesting, like you become one Deep with gratitude. that apple. Totally, it, totally. It's it's such a pure experience rather than just rushing through and being restrictive and being harsh and being judgy and, yep. and being shameful. And so it's completely different. And that lim always being limited is not freedom. So totally. I'm gonna download, I've been wanting to download it. I just felt a little bit shy, but I'm gonna go ahead and download it. And I'm going to see if it helps me reframe um, sometimes my approach because I'm 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 learning not to be hard on myself. It's very new. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. I, I'm going to download that. And then next time we talk, let's talk about the freedom. Yeah, totally. Food, food freedom. What's it called? Freedom of food. Yeah. Yeah. So my my course, my 10 week course, it's a group course, group coaching. 
Um, cause right. Like so many of us are having this experience. And when we come together in a group, it's really powerful to hear other people's experiences. You know, we'll have the run the gamut from like, you know, my sister who did Weight Watchers to, you know, people who are still kind of like having a hard time letting go of the fact that, you know, like maybe they love pasta and they know they shouldn't eat pasta or whatever the thing is, right? Like we all have whatever that is. And so it's really powerful to do it in a group and to go through these practices over a 10 week period over and over and like really get them in us, in our muscle memory and our, you know, in our psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the creative self-care food freedom edition that's coming up, um, in late April. Okay. Okay. Well, I love reframing. I love learning what intuitive eating is because I've only heard about it. And I love being more sensual and like celebrating this three times a day. Um, I love, I want to write, I always want to highlight some of those golden gems that you say that were really after the sweetness of life. You know, so many times you said stuff today that I wished I had written down. So (laughs) it's very transformative and it is like the, central core of creativity even if other people can't see it i run everything through the uh, the lens of creativity and i feel like this couldn't be more creative and transformative it's yeah i mean fundamentally it's an opportunity to transform our dining table into a temple three times a day to to really sit down and consider and be with and and experience like what you just said the that this, whatever this, you know, being is a plant or an animal or whatever, that life is now becoming our life. And we're, you know, it's almost like communion. It you know? is. Well, and that's creativity because we're connecting. We're connecting to what we're eating. We're connecting to our bodies. We're connecting to what we truly want out of life. Yeah. It, it, it checks all the boxes. And of course, cooking is creative with the five senses and gardening. All yeah. of it is just it's just, and it's, it's creativity on steroids. Yeah. And like, to your point, I like to think of the five tastes in Ayurveda as like the, the, the artist's palette for when you're cooking or when you're making a meal, even if it's like frozen food, you don't have to be cooking, cooking. It's like, get messy, use all the colors, you know, and it becomes this really fun, sensual thing. And that helps you not feel like it's a burden or I can't do this anymore. I can't watch my weight anymore. I've been doing it for 59 years or not really, you know, since I was 12 in the seventies when, when we starved ourselves, but now they call it intermittent fasting. I'm kidding. I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. So I am, I'm going to write down a couple of these gems. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. What about our meditation? Shall we? Shall we? We went so long, but that's okay. Whatever. I I clearly can't see how long we went. It's okay. This is a really simple, beautiful meditation. And this is what I teach people in my workshops. Um, So it's, it's going to be like really simple. All right. I'm all ready. I'm ready. All right. So let's go ahead and shut the eyes and drop into the body. Just let the thought stream be there. There's nothing you have to do about it. You don't have to shut it off or anything. Just let it be there. Let it exist, but just shift your attention into the actual body and how the body is expressing right now. Feel the seat of the body against what you're sitting on. Feel the spine holding you up. Feel the breath entering and exiting the body. Feel the shape of the body. Now feel the sensations arising within the body. Notice the temperature of the body. Any sense of density or lightness in the body. Any sense of movement or stillness in the body. Just being aware 
not getting too caught up in it, just sensing it, letting it be there, creating a space for it to be there. And then focus the attention on the belly. Notice if there's any tension in the belly. Maybe even placing the hands on the belly, one hand or both hands. Feeling that warmth and the pleasantness of that warmth and that pressure. Notice if you're pulling the belly in or holding it tight in any way and letting that go. Letting the belly expand to its natural resting position. Notice if that feels different. That feels like a sense of relief. Or if that feels a little bit scary or uncomfortable. Just noticing, no need to fix it, no need to change it, just hold space for whatever that experience is. Feel the belly rise and fall with the breath. And feel deeper inside the belly. So focusing more on the inner stomach. What do you feel in there? Maybe, maybe it's gurgly. Maybe it feels full from your last meal. Maybe it feels warm heavy, or maybe it feels light and empty. Just noticing. Dropping any story that comes up about it. Just returning again and again to the sensations themselves. Notice your emotional state as you do this. Are there any emotions arising? Is there discomfort? Is there a sense of peace? All of these things are okay. Just be with them. Host them. Allow them. And then check in with your sense of desire. Is there any desire present right now? You may feel the desire to move, desire to scratch an itch, or maybe you have a desire to eat. Maybe you don't. Just noticing the sensations in the physical body that let you know that there's desire. And feeling into the emotional body 
for the emotional experience of that desire. And always turning the attention back to the breath, back to the belly as an anchor, feeling the breath and the belly rise and fall. And then as you're ready, you can start to externalize your awareness beyond your body and in the room that you're sitting in. Still maintaining a light, soft awareness of the body and the belly, but just coming back into this space, into the world around you. And then as you're ready, you can gently open the eyes. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about what we talked about today, you can visit simplewildfree.com or you can email hello at simplewildfree.com and ask for Crystal, that's me, and we can chat more about intuitive eating, the role of mindfulness, and food freedom. Thanks so much.